Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good afternoon, evening, day, period of time in which you're listening to this, guys. Uh, this is Cody, the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with David Day, uh, who works with uh, Canton Cooperage. Uh, Hello. We are talking oak and barrels, and we're going to have a barrel of fun. <laughs> Woo! At least I like to think so. <laughs> uh, we're drinking two wines tonight. We're starting off with the Rune 2012 Vignet, which was actually, I think, best in state. Oh, sorry, 2013, um, which was the one that won best in state. We didn't do a 2012. But uh, you were commenting on the label earlier, if you want to take a closer look. Yeah, no, it's a... Uh... Great little little drawing of the Rainbow Bridge, and really, really a quality label. Something I really like about the the labels, the the wines down here is people have put a lot of a lot of artistic thought into the labels to the wines here in Arizona. I like that. They're they're out of the usual, out of the norm of what most of the industry is trapped into doing. Awesome. We're also going to be drinking the Marcelon from Jerome Winery. I'm trying to remember what vintage that was. It's not vintage, or it doesn't. Not listed, so. Well, he does leave all of his wines in barrel for three years, so this yeah. is probably going to be 2014. I think that might 2013, be maybe? a 13. Yeah. A 13 or a 12. Uh, which was thanks to Raheem. Thank uh, you, Raheem. Uh, who, of course, told you... Well, I told you the whole point of the story and what happened, but he, of course, warned you to beware of goat legs. Or yes. Or asked you to bring one. <laughs> the leg of lamb. That's it, right, the leg of lamb. It, it quiets the monk. <laughs> <laughs> no, this very nice, classic Viognier. So this is actually partially wild fermented, too. Nice. Nice. When you actually kind of pick up on a little bit of that, on the back end of the floral notes on the nose. Hmm. Now what's really cool is, I brought the new toy that Ray Stevens from Trident Winery gave me as an early birthday present, um, which is an official like tasting glass, and it smells completely different, and the, the apricot and also the oak come out. So it is an, an oak-aged... So, yes, it was. But it doesn't show here. I like but the little you, little nipples you put your fingers in. I know. <laughs> but if you smell it, you get that definite... Oh, wow. ...vanilla and French oak. I don't think he uses or has used... No, this, this would be a, a French oak. Um, that nice vanilla limb with the, the guayacol. Just, oh, wow, that's beautiful. This is actually a great glass. I know. <laughs> I gotta give me one of these. They're great. I'm afraid I'm gonna break it though. It feels it's, very it's so delicate. It feels fragile. Yes. But God, that smell is so different because the oak is coming out there. Mm-hmm. But in our uh, Wilcox Wine Country glasses, you don't really get that at all. It's there, but very, very faint. Very, very faint. Kind of on the back end. Um, kind of almost if you if you take a big waft through your nose with an open mouth. Yeah. You'll get it a little bit more. But 
Very, very subtle, though. Very nicely balanced wine. Um, definitely not over-oaked. Um, and that's I've noticed that being a problem with a lot of people that do oak age of yeah. Viognier. Is it's a, it's, a, it's a fruit that's very easily overshadowed yeah. by, by the power of oak. And I've, I've seen that with some Chardonnays, too, even though the tendency has been uh, American oak or Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah. At least if you're in California. <laughs> uh, the, the land of no oak or 100% new oak. <laughs> yes, the, the land of contrast. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I was wondering, do you even know how that whole tradition started with American um, oaking Chardonnay? I'm not, I'm I meant not to look really it up sure. today, but I never got around to it. I know Silver Oak had a big part of it. Um, and, um, oh, what is the name of... Uh, it's been a long day, so pardon me, folks. Um, Rombauer. That's right. Um, the big butter. And one of the things I find so funny is that the winemaker that made Rombauer very, very famous with the... 100% just a huge butter, 100% malactic, huge oak, just big, big, big Chardonnays. He has a new label, and his Chardonnay is called Butter, and his Zinfandel is called Jam. <laughs> so at least he's being very, very straightforward with what he you're going to get. He needs to therefore make a Cabernet Sauvignon and call it Toast. Or Cat Pee. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when I worked in a tasting room, that was one of my favorite things to talk to to people about about Sauvignon Blanc because the the label I worked for, we actually made a very New Zealand style, um, big on the cat pee. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love how people are like the the Somalias are like. Oh, yes, boxwood. Mm. <laughs> We're like, that's cat piss. Yes. Come on, guys. Just don't be shy. Don't don't hide behind your language. Just fucking cat piss. People own cats. People know what it smells like. Exactly. I remember uh, once I was drinking this Albarino mm. with, with friends, and one of the people I was drinking was like, this smells like cat piss. <laughs> this is horrible. I don't want to drink this. I'm just like, just drink it and shut up. It's actually something you kind of look for. Yeah, some varietals, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah kind of like Riesling and that petrol. Oh, God, yeah. You know? It, Give me a Riesling that smells like an oil field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> first There's time, no Riesling for it not to. Yeah, first time I had a Mosul Riesling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> God, I remember that. My first, too. And I was just like, gosh, it smells like... I just, like, pump gas. And yeah. It's great. This is, I don't know why I love that smell, but it's so well here. <laughs> Everybody right. loves huffing a little gas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes, it makes life bearable. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> gas and wine. <laughs> no, I'm having a great time here in Arizona. Um, tasted a lot of really, really nice wines. Really, um... I don't want to say surprised, because I know people got their chops here. Um, and you've been here a couple of times before, so... I've actually, over the last eight years, have really watched an upswing. Um, not so much in the quality, but with the focusing on varietals that really work. Um, 
And and actually, I would have to say the, the a big upswing in in the quality as you focus in on varietals that work, and um, you know it's 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 hard dealing with why fruit that comes in with no acid. Yeah. You know, because um, you need that acid. That acid brightens up, lifts lifts everything, and so I've been loving it down here, really seeing it. And then the difference between some of the fruit I've tasted up here in the Verde Valley. Compared to, you know, where I'm heading to down in Sonoida, Elgin, Wilcox, just the, the difference in the soil types is, yeah. it really does remind me of, like, Rioja, um, that, you know, Spanish, Northern Italy, um, really, yeah, really, good job, guys. <laughs> I, I agree, otherwise I, I wouldn't be drinking and writing and recording and doing all this fun stuff. Yeah. Focusing solely on Arizona wines. Yeah, I would have, you know, moved someplace else probably. Yes. I, I'm kind of, I'm both interested and terrified of uh, tasting Rhode Island wines for the first time in about five years. Because uh, I did spend a summer in Newport years ago, and I was literally more or less down the street from Newport Winery. Okay. And it was the one place in New England that had drinkable wine, in my opinion, back then. <laughs> um, I wasn't really as in depth with wine as I am now. I mean, I knew a fair bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really interested with now what I know, trying trying things out. And, yeah. And seeing how it's changed, if at all, or new well, wineries. It's, and it, it's good when developing and, and working on, on growing your palate. And, and just the basic knowledge of wine itself. Um, trying what they're making in other places, you know. We're lucky enough to live somewhere where all 50 states, well, 49, sorry, Alaska, no grace. 48. Oh, no, that's right. Hawaii does have... Hawaii has four wineries. <laughs> that's right. That do more than just pineapple wine. Yeah, that's right. There's a guy who grew up there growing Symphony. Yeah, yeah. Sym Symphony actually grows interestingly there. How so? <laughs> um, yeah. You're like we were talking earlier, like being political. <laughs> um, they they get two full seasons. What? Yeah, um, one of the grape growers that I talked to there talked about his two harvests, and that's where I kind of cut him off and was like, "That's one a year is enough for me. I don't need to. I'm never going to experience that." <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we can just... God, I, I'm sure all my winemaking friends are like, are like, oh dear God, two crush seasons. <laughs> yep. Fuck. There's a, 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 a funny little, uh, one of the winemakers that I learned from in, in Northern California um, told me about a, a winery he went to in the South Pacific that's on an atoll. Um, yeah. It's, it's, what? Yeah. Where they actually have to spray an enzyme after harvest to put the vines into abstention. And then they spray another enzyme to wake them up. To get whatever quality of fruit that they can get. Into our, because your vines are going to get so tired so much faster. Oh, yeah. Going, just cranking through full, you know. And I don't really know um, the longevity of... The Hawaiian wine market. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested next time I go back. I haven't been back there in years. 
um, to, to try something other than pineapple wine? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would be curious about the symphony. I mean, I'd be curious about to try the, the wine from that atoll. The tawar there must be super weird. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I mean, it would probably be heavy calcareous and, and shelly and yeah, real, uh, you, know, you know, like that mineral. <laughs> Minerality. Minerality. <laughs> that, um, I don't know what. <laughs> we'll call it minerality. Je ne sais quoi, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> well, cheers. Thank you for having me. You're Thanks welcome. For Thank you for uh, emailing me back and telling me that you guys are, or you guys, I mean you, uh, we're heading up this way. Yeah, trying to have more of a presence here in uh, in Arizona. Um, some of the fruits that you guys are growing down here, I I I personally think, just my own personal opinion, um, really do benefit and uh, are elevated um, by American oak. Um, there there is definitely a big. In my opinion, my humble opinion, a big difference between American and French. Oh, there and is. Every winemaker out there would agree with me, um, and not every wine um, agrees with French or the other. Or yeah, or the Eastern, you know, Hungarian, Romanian, Russian. Russian is something that I'm very got to work with it once. Um, I'm it, it's it's an exciting wood. Um, <laughs> Which always makes me kind of giggle when I say exciting wood. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Another new band name. Yes. <laughs> but uh, what what grapes do you think in Arizona benefit most from American oak? Okay, put me on the spot. <laughs> yep. Um, a lot of the the Sangio that's growing down here. Um, a lot, a lot of, also I think a lot of the, the heavier reds um, that lack a little bit of the mid-palate. Um, also, you know, something to highlight, to elevate the, the, the spiciness in the, in the um, it, it's, it's, I've always just found it interesting that, you know, a little bit of a coconut component actually highlights certain, you know, um, white pepper you know, some of the, the spices, some of the baking spices. So you would say, and this was me putting words in your mouth yeah. and, and jumping ahead 20 <laughs> The Libri then seems like it would be an ideal vineyard for American oak because it has those white pepper elements and it's known for that in the state uh, as kind of a, a white pepper zone. Yeah. Oh, and another good band name. <laughs> the white pepper zone. <laughs> Hello, Cleveland. Um... <laughs> I, just to be honest, I don't have much experience, or, or uh, you know, um, I've I've not tasted a whole lot. What I have tasted, I have really liked from Calibri, um, and I, I I'd be interested to know if there was any American oak in the program. As far um, as I'm aware, uh, no one has used American oak on Calibri fruit. Okay. The closest that you're going to find to that region with American oak is going to be uh, stuff produced by LDV, Lawrence Dunham. Okay. Um, on the other side of the Chiricahuas and the Chiricahua foothills. And they, they use American oak exclusively, ah, I think. okay. Or, or mostly, more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, have you talked to those guys? 
No. You probably should. Cause... No. I'm, I'm still, uh, honestly, um, I, I, I'm, as much as I love Arizona and I love, I, I have not, you know, I'm just really getting deep and, and starting to chew on Arizona wines. I, something that I'm actually very proud to say, and some people scoff at me or roll their eyes when I say it is, you know, Coming from Sonoma County in Northern California, it's been almost two years since I've had a Sonoma County or a Napa. Well, it's been even longer since I've had a Napa wine. I'm not not the biggest fan of their styles. Um, Nor am I. I. But we were talking about that earlier. In the yeah, yeah. There, there are some producers in Napa that knock it out of the park. Um, but a lot of what Napa is is famous for, I think, just sometimes is a little over the top, a little out of balance. Um, down down here, I've really been trying to, to, to focus, also not not actually working with the fruit. So, so I'll just fill in a little bit of my background. Um, I came to winemaking through being a chef for 16 years. And I've made wine at home since I was, you know, roughly 19. Um, you know, small batches, just really getting into it. Um, I decided to, to give up the cooking because I met my wonderful wife and didn't want her to be a restaurant widow. Um, just a winery widow is totally fine because it's only two and a half, three months out of the year. Yeah, that's And then there's bottling, which is a few more weeks. So, uh, other than 365 days out of the year. Um... Started working at a, at a wonderful custom crush in the Russian River Valley outside of Sebastopol um, called Owl Ridge Wine Services. Uh, what I liked about that is I, I got to work with roughly 37 of the best winemakers, in my opinion, that are making wine in Northern California. Um, so being able to learn a lot. Um, the one thing that I had a problem with is the limited varietals, you know, um, down here, you guys have an, an amazing amount. Because yeah, you're trying to find what fits best with the climate, with the soils, with, you know, the styles of wines that the winemakers here are wanting to do. That was something that, you know, I wanted to, to you know, chew on, on be able to work with and chew on more uh, lesser known, you know, that the, the big epiphany to me was when Pinot Meunier was brought into the winery and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what is this? Um, Were you in the tasting room when we got that Pinot Meunier yes. talking? Yeah. Yes, it's actually it's... one of my, my favorite purely varietal wines. I, I wish so, no one's fucking growing that in Arizona. I mean, <laughs> somebody should 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 plant a couple acres. Same same with Gamay, interestingly enough. Gamay would actually I think work really really well down here. Um, especially in Chino because Chino has that Burgundian yeah. character to the soil and, and climate and winds and everything. Which is something you which taught, is, you taught me today. I I had no idea anybody was growing sh you know, Pinot Noir and Pinot Chardonnay. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and there's someone, someone else is growing a little bit of Cab and 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 um, Syrah, which I think, well, the Cab, the Cab Sauve is okay. Yeah, but Cab Sauve is, is a grape that kind of seems to grow almost anywhere. 
it's kind of weedy. <laughs> it's it's a it's a heartier, definitely a heartier fruit. Um, I think down here, um, and, and please somebody send me an email, uh, correcting me if I'm wrong, but probably get less of the vegetal qualities. By it gets a little bit riper here, more more degree days. I will say that I still like Cab Franc out here more than Cab Sauv, but. Well, Cap Franc is a, is a beautiful, beautiful baby of a grape. <laughs> it, it makes really good juice. Um, yeah, and I, I... Sort of coming back into it, I, I worked as a cellar hand, a press master, got involved in vineyards, um, really enjoyed the vineyard side of things, um, started to work for a smaller boutique label, Cellar at running the tasting room, doing outside sales, moved into being an assistant winemaker for the group. Um, worked with two amazing winemakers, um, Carrie Gott and Adam Fetchkelman. Um But I started to miss um, m making wine on my own again, um, and and never wanting to own my own label. <laughs> So I, I decided to take a step back and look again. Um, I've always been a little bit of an oak geek. Um, just the difference, I mean, the difference between uh, in talking French, you know, Francois Ferrer to a Terenceau to, you know, a, a Marseille. It's night and day, um, the differences from well, the different forests. and everything. What would you say causes those, those major differences? Soils, climate. Um, where the staves are actually aged. Um, it makes a big difference, the microflora in that specific area, the, the rains, the snows, the, the amount of sun, the wind, mainly the microflora, the, 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 the mildews and molds and other bacteria and whatnot that actually get into the wood, um, start changing some of the compounds, um, start leak some of the the heavier compounds, some of the lactones, some of the whiskey lactones, actually are stripped out, which allows other compounds to, to come to the surface to actually... And then every cooperage has its own special recipe of toasting, which is a very, in my opinion, the most, Im most important to me is not so much... I mean, you need to source good wood, but it's how it's aged, how it's seasoned, um, the the time it's seasoned, 24, 36. You know, my, my company, we've just recently released a 48. We're playing with a 60-month oh, wow. barrel. The 48, very mellow in the way of flavor impact, but in the way of mouthfeel, oh, my God. <laughs> um, and I have some clients in Oregon that are using it on Chardonnays, Pinots, stuff that you would never think about using an American oak on. Hmm. At, at a medium plus toast with toasted Well, that eggs. makes sense with that longer aging. It has that more mellow character, more characteristic of French oak or Hungarian. Uh, I, I would say closer to a Hungarian. Um, but then again, that is also my, my humble opinion. I, I keep saying that because I... I try and be very careful with, um, you know, some reps I talked to while making wine were like, oh, this will fully give you this 100, oh, this is exactly what you're looking for, you're looking for vanilla, oh, this is so rich in vanilla, Lynn. 
But the funny thing about vanillolin and vanilla is you can have really high levels of vanillolin, but if you don't have other compounds, like guayacol is something that actually elevates the vanillolin. You know, you wouldn't think, well, coconut? <laughs> How does coconut, it's unperceivable, but under a certain, um, a, a, a certain amount no matter how much vanillin you'll have, it won't really be that pronounced. So, uh, getting back to the, the special recipe, the time and temperature, is when toasting wood, it's, every cooperage has its own secret recipe of, you know, and some of them are a lot more open. There's cooperages out there that will offer you 153 different, wow. <laughs> you know, this is our this, 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 this. I I find that to be, uh, and, I, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble or anything, but a lot of that is marketing. Um, our, with, 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 with our research, we've found, you know, seasoning to be a very important, you know, because that's really what's changing the greenness, the rawness of the wood. Um, yeah, and it's... it's it's interesting because as as people discover, you know, different different sides of wine, Coopers are actually our our R and D department. So my my company is is we're in a a Cooperage group. Um, the 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 French side is Terenceau, which a lot of your winemaking audience might might recognize or love, or beg to to get. <laughs> Um, really nice French oak barrels um, from from cognac. Then our Hungarian side is Kadar, which um, I've always loved Kadar. Me too, actually. I, it's it's one of I've seen those barrels in a few Arizona wineries, and uh, for me, I, I like how it has a sort of almost. And this is me as you know, someone who's not as educated in oak or barrels, uh, and more just about flavor. How it kind of combines the characteristics. That one looks like from both American and French oak kind of together. Uh, I mean, it's oversimplifying it dramatically, <laughs> but but it's kind of that that nice sweet spot for me in between, and I really dig Hungarian oak, especially on Tanat. Well, and that that's how I would say it is. It is it sits in between. It's not. I wouldn't really say it's it's kind of like you know half a half a French, half American. It's definitely its own. Oh yeah, it has its own. But it does sit somewhere on the spectrum between the two. That's kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah, I was just in, in Texas at, at, a, at a conference, and um, one of the speakers talked, basically said, said that without, without articulating the, that it is its own. And you could hear every Cooperage guy in the room kind of go, ah, 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 trying to be polite, not interrupt him. Um, but it's it's an it's a it's really nice wood. Um, Peter Molnar, the owner of of Kadar, one of the sweetest men I've ever met. Really much like us at Canton and at Terenceau, really focusing on the quality of wood, the quality of grain that you get working with the stave mills and the foresters to so 
just to give you a little little background on what we look for when we're so the minimum age of a of a, of a we'll talk specifically Quercus alba, okay, which white is oak. American white, white, oak. white oak. The minimum age of a tree is pretty much 130 years old. Okay. Is the minimum. I was actually going to ask that question later, so oh, sorry. you read my mind. I'm jumping the gun. No, that's not going to be my, it was coming up sooner or later. And I'm just going to jump off a topic for a second here. Need more wine? This Viognier is absolutely fantastic. This is a really... Um, Viognier, oh. Viognier being one of my favorite varietals. It's also, I think, one of the best white varietals in Arizona. Uh, I, I would agree. I, uh, that, really this well. Malvasia Bianca uh, are my two favorites. To a lesser extent, uh, Sauvignon Blanc does well. I mean, it's not super exciting here, but it does well. Um, which is why, uh, I don't know, did you try the Skyfire when you were at Fire Mountain? I did not. That is, it's the... I'd have to say the worst part of my job <laughs> is going from winery to winery to winery to winery and not being able to taste as deeply as I want. If anybody would like to send me samples, um, just <laughs> kidding, but please, if you would like to send me samples. Um, well, if you actually move up here, you know, or around here with your wife, you'll probably be... Hey, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking this tonight. Want to hang out? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I was saying earlier, it's it's been a hard pull, a hard push. Um, I, I do, if there was one, and I'm not saying this just because I'm here. I actually have some family ties here. My parents actually live in Hereford, Arizona. Um, if there was one place outside of California that I would live, it would be here. Mainly because the people, and is it okay to cuss? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> there, there ain't no shit with the folks down here. <laughs> if somebody doesn't like you, they'll tell you, and I really appreciate that. Um, if I have one more person walk up to me and say, it's all good, I'm going to snap. Because <laughs> for one, if somebody's telling you it's all good, it's usually obviously not. it's not all good. <laughs> and what, I, what I've liked about here is... Um, I've met some of the sweetest, nicest people that don't know me from Al, um, but have brought me into conversation circles. Um, you know, the last two nights down in Cottonwood at the, the State Bar, which I love, great place. Um, just random strangers coming up and starting conversation with me, and by the end of the evening feeling like I actually, you know, that there's a friendship, and... It's something that in, and I'm sorry to my Northern California homies, um, it's getting further and farther between to find that sort of community. Um, and I, that's what it is down here, you know, especially up here in the Verde Valley, I really do love the sense of community that you feel up here. Um, people really watch out for each other, people got each other's backs, um, and they'll give you a little bit of slack if you fuck up. You fuck up three or four times. Yeah, then you're <laughs> the slack gets shorter and shorter. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this this is I, I really love this area. The first time I came up here, like I was telling you earlier, I was seven or eight on vacation with my parents, and we came up to Jerome, and I was looking around and said, "What the hell?" Um, so it, it blows my mind that that this part of the valley 
um, has turned into what it is, and it's it's exciting for me, being a lover of wine, um, and also a lover of farming and viticulture and nature itself, to see what's going on up here, um, the stewardship of the land that's going on up here, people being very conscious about what they're growing and how they're growing it. Um, it it's just it's great, and. If I could convince my lovely wife, <laughs> there's a good chance we would be finding ourselves in Clarkdale or Cottonwood or possibly even Jerome or <laughs> definitely not Sedona. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> so right, going back. Yes. We have a 130 year old Quercus Alba yes. in a forest where? Um, okay, so, well, there, there's different spots. Um, Oregon Oak is actually. Um, Got a lot of uh, Oregon distilleries and winemakers that are, are, are very big on using American oak, uh, using Oregon oak. Very proud of, of being Oregonian. But the thing is, there's just not a, a lot. And it's still, that's still Quercus Alba? It's still Quercus Alba. Okay. Um, Cause I know Quercus Alba is not here in Arizona. Well, no. But there's about 15 other oak species. Yeah, more of the, the low scrub oak um i mean here it's it's just your your climate is not open to when um, you get up into the higher mountains uh you'll see um the gamble oaks yeah yeah Th those might be big enough to to do something with which i would be interested in i think klopsky has actually done stave aging with Really? Uh, America, with Arizona white oak, which is a different oh, species. Oh, that would be awesome. Dude. That would be very and, interesting. Uh, and Gembel's oak. Oh, wow. And Emery white oak. I talked to a bunch of winemakers in Texas that were starting to... Uh, they staved their own... And I, I forget the species of oak, but they're in the hill country there, um, very specific to that area. Started their own little stave yard to run some trials to yeah, there's see... There's actually a cooper, I guess, in... Hornville or yeah. something. I've yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but a lot of their wood is is from other states. So, yeah. where where we look for is in. So we're based out of Lebanon, Kentucky, um, right in the heart of Bourbon Country. A um, lot of Coopers around there. A lot of you know Bourbon houses. Some of the bigger ones. Jim Beam is in the area. Um, so we're right there in the heart because. Years ago, and, I, and I'm talking, you know, right after Prohibition, looked at climate and where, where we have in Lebanon, Kentucky, we've, we've it's, it's the perfect climate for aging, for seasoning. Oh, it's, you have all four seasons. Um, we have a, a creek that runs right through the property, so. That maintains moisture. Maintains the humidity because you don't want to get it. Oh no, pipe in whenever you want. Like I told you earlier, especially when I'm enjoying wine, <laughs> I, I have a tendency to get a little lippy. <laughs> um, it, it's just a, a perfect area. Um, so where we focus on our oaks is not not so far north. You hear a lot of people use Minnesota oak. Yeah, I think Michigan. LDV uses um, Minnesota. Yeah, it, and it's a it's a it's a beautiful wood. Um, it it's not flavor wise What's or the that they use. 
Sorry. Uh, well, no, that's the other big M. Um, and that's more of the region we're in, Missouri, Kentucky, West Virginia, southern Pennsylvania, um, that, uh, what, what I've been calling um, the Oak Belt. Um, and, and there are lots of other areas that, uh, call my mom and pa back later. Um, <laughs> there, there, there are other, you know, like Michigan, um, it all depends on what you're looking for. The colder climate, the denser, the, the, the denser your grain is going to be, which affects the elevage, which really does affect the... Because a barrel basically is a living, breathing entity, and again, in my opinion. <laughs> so, so, possibly slightly off topic, does a tighter grain on your barrel mean that there's less loss to evaporation? Possibly. Or, I mean, there's, there's, or does that not have anything to do with it? It, it does, it does, but then there's other factors involved, you know, the, the climate in your cellar, um, that is, your, is your humidity in the cellar good, is your temperature good, um, so yeah, you, you, you will lose, um, tighter grain, thicker staves, you'll lose less, um, we actually just started releasing a, a specialty line of spirit barrels that we've gotten back into doing that are, um, you know, they're, they're not your average spirit barrel. They're a little nicer, a little thicker staved. We, we guarantee them not to leak and whatnot. Um, and we've had distilleries come back to us and say, you've actually, we're having less evaporation. Um, and I do think that is because we do focus a lot on the grain of the wood. Um, and, and it just makes sense. A tighter grain is going to like... But it's also the thickness of the stave. We actually... I used to dread when my cantons came into the winery. Because <laughs> they're heavy as... all get out. They're a very heavy barrel. How <laughs> heavy on average? Um, ours on average... Your average 225 liter. The, the average, you know, that, that we sell the most of. About 110 pounds. Oh, my. Yeah. That's about the same weight as my girlfriend. <laughs> I can barely lift her, but also I'm not that terribly strong person either. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's so many different factors. Um, but that's that's kind of what we focus on, is um, there, there's a, a measurement that you'll hear Oak guys or Cooperage guys talk about, and it's, it's you know, bands or grains per inch. And we, we like to pick wood that's between 8 and 12 for our lighter barrels and from 10 to almost 15 grains per inch for our tight grain. Okay. Um, and there, there is actually a lot of, of hubbub right now about whether that actually makes it between Coopers and R&D departments and whatnot about whether... Tight grain, extra tight grain, if, if it really does make a difference. Um, and that that's something I, I personally leave up to the winemakers I work with. Um, I, I, call, I like to call my style of selling the zen of sales, where I, I, I always hated heavy-pressured, you know, heavy-handed salesmen that would tell me anything to get me to buy their barrels. Um, most winemakers have a pretty good idea of what they're looking for. You know what I got. 
you know, what American Oak does. Um, I've always looked at Canton as being one of, if not the nicest of the American Coopers. Um, you know, we're definitely a little bit more on the expensive side. But the quality of, of the barrel, when it arrives at the winery and you look at it, you can see the quality of the craftsmanship. We take great pride in, in that and that's why we offer a, our guarantee you know if if your barrel gets jacked up or arrives with damage or is leaking if I if I can't find somebody to come and fix it for you I'll show up myself with my tools and I'll do it <laughs> um, and and I've never the restaurants I worked for the winemakers I worked with the wineries I've worked for I've never wanted to work for somebody that I didn't believe in and, and that's why I work, work with the company I do, is I actually really believe that we make a damn nice barrel that does some really good, good stuff to, to the wine. Um, to jump back, we like to cut off around 280 years. Okay. <laughs> so, basically between 130 and 280. Yeah, and other coopers will, you know, there's, I know there's some French cooperages that offer older woods. Um, I kind of believe if, 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 if a tree's made it through that, <laughs> it kind of gets that, you know, pardon, the it, the pardon in the last five minutes of its sentence, you know, the <laughs> governor calls and says, it's all good, it needs, because you need something for the next generation, yeah. you need something shading the next generation. Um, so we have this tree growing near Kentucky. Yes. Or near Lebanon, Kentucky. Uh, it's 200 years old. What Chop next? that fucker down. <laughs> no, we, uh, so we go through, um, you have certain things that you're looking for. Straightness, not a lot of branches. Uh, definitely you're trying to find something that doesn't have a lot of small branches because you really aren't wanting a lot of knot holes. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really use... Uh, a piece of wood that has a big knot hole in it because it's, it's going to leak, <laughs> guaranteed. So look for, for the quality of the tree, the straightness. Um, then we'll go through, or well, we don't because we don't actually have our own stave mill anymore. We decided to let other people do the stave mills because when you, you get an order of logs, you got what you got. If you have bad wood in there, well, you've paid for it. So, so what you've done is do this to have the stave makers do their outsource that so that we just stave off bad yeah. things. Foot up bumps. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a big fan of stupid puns. Good, because I have <laughs> shit tons of them. Like yeah. I said earlier today, uh, I like wine puns a lot. I think they're great. But, uh, you oh. know, it's just a matter of a pinot. Yeah, now, now we're just... Tiptoeing into that ridiculous. Uh... <laughs> so so yeah no what we focus on is we work with stave mills. Um, our 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 the the head of our cooperage Anthony Morris a really great guy um, really knows his shit. Uh, um, he he travels a lot. We have long standing relationships with stave mills all over the Midwest. Um, and he goes and finds blocks of staves that are of the quality we're looking for. And then we purchase those and they get shipped to our, our 47 acre stave yard 
at the Cooperage to then season. Um, so do you, you season them first before you do the burning, or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they get seasoned, like I was saying, you know, 24 to 48 months. Then they go through another inspection before they ever enter. Um, you're looking for straightness of grain, quality. And so the big difference between French and American oak and Hungarian oak, too, is French oak, you, you split with the grain. Okay. Different little bit different on the American oak, we're able to quarter saw American really? oak. So why is that? Harder wood or um, it's 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 the way that so basically the fibers picture the fiber is a tube. Okay. It's the way those tubes sit next to each other. Okay. So with the French oak, to get it to not leak you have to split it with that grain. Um but yeah and I I, I should have showed you the video earlier. I have a, a great video that's showing guys quarter sawing, and you know maybe I'll send it to you. That'd be great because and then I can, can attach it to the podcast when it's posted. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, I'll I'll send some videos of the whole process. That'd be great. It's 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 a great interesting process. I thought I could work hard until I went to the Cooperage <laughs> and realized just how much of a Californian I am. Um, <laughs> not that all Californians can't work hard, but. It, it, I, yeah, it, it's very hard, very hot work. I have a lot of respect for those craftsmen. Um, but yeah, so we we got rid of our, 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 our stave mill um, just so we could focus more on the, the quality of the wood. Um, so yeah, and then, and then, so it goes, the, the first... I'm getting a little buzz. Um, so it comes out of the stave yard, and and then the first focus is we're we're focusing on the quality, you know, because you can't go through every stave at the stave mill. That would just be ridiculous amounts of time to go through tens of thousands of pieces of wood. So you buy them in lots. So they're going to need to be looked at again. We have a a great crew that is that first what I call the first line of defense. Um, that goes through and and basically if it if it's not of stave quality it basically goes to to the boilers um, we we don't we, we like to make our adjuncts of the same quality of wood that we would make a barrel out of okay um, yeah and and when we also have a line of adjuncts that we call extra shen um, French and American oak. Um, so all of the French oak is aged in, in cognac. Um, but it's, 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 it's all about quality. Um, it's like the adage you always hear. You can make horrible wine out of amazing fruit, but you can't ever make amazing wine out of horrible fruit. Yeah. So it, that, that's how we figure with the wood. If, if, if I wouldn't put it in my own wine, I'm not going to ask you to put it in yours. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So. <laughs> so it's done aging. You've looked at it again. Yes. What's the next part of the process? Well, then, then it moves actually into the cooperage. Um, it'll go through a planing. 
then it goes into into in, 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 into kind of a pre-set where they'll count out the amount of staves. How many staves go out in a barrel? Oh God! I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Sorry. Um. I mean, if if we don't know, then yeah. Right right now. Um. At the end of my day? <laughs> we're at Viennier o'clock, and we're nearing Marcelon o'clock. We're very close to Marcelon o'clock. Um, but, and th thank you to Rahim. Again, great guy. Um, yeah. Uh, again, and I don't want to sound like I'm gushing over Arizona, but I just really do like what you guys are doing down here. It's, it's nice to see and it's infancy isn't the right word because people have been making wine in Arizona well, we're nearing our adolescence it, it's 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 a growth phase where um you know that for lack of a better statement that the nuts are dropping yeah you know and um you're 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 coming into your own and and it's really exciting to I'm not a big part of it um I'd like to be a bigger part of it and like to see um, I, I would really love to be in more programs down here. Um, <laughs> um, but it's it's just great to see and, and to taste wines that are are world class. Yeah, like truly, I I would put this up against any Viognier, any Viognier. <laughs> yeah, this is the last time I tasted this particular Viognier was about a year, year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. uh, when I actually wrote uh, a review on it on the blog. So it's just aged even more beautifully, and now I'm wishing that I had like, man, <laughs> I shouldn't have drunk that bottle then. And then I'd have another bottle now. But I also have his uh, next vintage in my cellar. And the cool thing about his labels, by the way, is that the, each label is going to tell a story. Oh wow! So there's going to be a different label for the next beignet for the next part of the story. Oh, that's hip. That's really groovy. So yeah. And let's see, that's... Making wine is artistry, and, and it shouldn't just end at the making of the wine. I mean, the packaging is part of... It's, it's part of the story, you know? It doesn't just end when you put your juice in the bottle and hand it off to a marketing team. And or if you, if you even do. Yeah, yeah. Most of the Arizona wineries don't have a marketing team. No, no, which is... We're too small. Yeah. So we do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, or apparently they rely on me. <laughs> I got, I, I just dawned on me that oh yeah, that's why everyone really likes me. I'm free marketing that they don't have to pay for. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, this does not mean I'm going to charge for my services. <laughs> um, although I might do ads on the blog coming up soon, just to to make a little bit of extra booze money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why why not? <laughs> if you can, but um, uh, I'm there's thinking, a there's a purity that gets lost. In it. There is, but I, I'm what I would do to keep that purity is not allow winery ads. I would uh, do ads for hotels, for local businesses that are associated with the wine industry, like breweries, hotels, restaurants. Yeah, uh, the stuff that everyone who drinks the wine needs after the wine. Yeah, yeah. A place yeah, to yeah. sleep, a place to eat, a place for their husband or wife to drink beer. <laughs> you know, or, or that sort of thing. Because, you know, I, I'm all about eating local, drinking local. One of my tasks for this year is to actually build up an Arizona spirits bar in my stash. Oh. Uh, so the first thing I have right now is the Three Wells Gin, which is 
one of You're the best gins. You're telling me about that? Yeah, it's one of the best gins I've ever tasted. Next up is probably going to be the uh, San Javier Del Bac Mesquite Smoked Single Malt. Damn. <laughs> um, everything that Flying Leap does that's good is going to go into that stash. I know you're visiting them tomorrow. Yeah. And like I, I said, be sure to tell Rose I said hello. I will. I will if she's there. One one of my... I, I, I go there every time I come down here. Um, even before I was working with the Cooperage, it was a place I stopped every time I went to go visit my folks. Um, my dad loves the drive out there. So... Um, also doing doing great things. It's it's very interesting to see that part because it's funny to talk to people back in Sonoma County, and they're just blown away. Like, wait, wait, what? 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 What are they doing in Arizona? There's wine in Arizona, and it's it, it's there's a, a a preconception people have that. You can only make good wine in certain places, and, and and really, there's there's good wine made everywhere, except Fine. for Nebraska. <laughs> I did not taste a single good wine when I was in Nebraska. Kansas, yes. Nice, nice. I'm Nebraska, interested actually. No, in I mean Kansas and Oklahoma. Admittedly, I only went to two wineries in Nebraska, but still. I normally find at least one thing I like at every winery I visit. Is, is there more than two wineries in I Nebraska? Think there's like fifteen or twenty. Good on them. But they're they're doing lots of sweet, horrible things. Uh, probably a lot of berry wines. And... Berry wines, but also some hybrids. Uh, Cayuga, okay. uh, Concord, uh, uh, Tremignet, <laughs> which somehow they fucked up. <laughs> wow. Because I've had good Tremignet. Yeah, yeah. From from New York and from Ontario. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, really, you guys did this with it? The fuck? Well, also, <laughs> just thinking about the differences in climate. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's wine in 49 states. Maybe some of them shouldn't. <laughs> Fo focus on whiskey. <laughs> Which is probably what Alaska should definitely be doing. Uh, yeah, I've actually had some very nice oddly Alaskan bourbon. Ooh. Years ago, I'm not even sure if the place still exists, this would have been 18, 19 years ago from Nome. Wow. Anybody who lives in Alaska that's listening to this, let me know if there's still Nome, Nome bourbon. Because it was actually incredibly good. I had a friend that came back and knew my love of bourbon at the time and shared a bottle. <laughs> so okay, we okay. aged it. Now we're getting back. We've gotten into the cooperage itself. Now it's 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 the the the, the building of the barrel. You're 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 planing, which is squaring up the wood. Um, there's there's different thicknesses to the staves. Um, again, it's Viognier clock, so I'm not going to give you numbers. <laughs> Call me if you want numbers. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give my number at the end. Um, so then they, they lay it out on, on like a, a pre-board. So you're just making sure everything's there that you need. Then it goes into, into a stage which, which we call the rose. It has a metal hoop on the base that's holding everything together. Um, God, I really wish I would have 
thought ahead of time and plugged in my computer to show you this this PowerPoint I have. Um, it's a uh, so you, hey, you can send it to me, and I can attach it again to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, I've I'll, done that before. I, I will, I will send. There's still some of that vignette left, but I'm saving it for you for drinking tomorrow <laughs> when you're done with Elgin. Okay, <laughs> sounds good to me. Um, so then, then it goes into into the first stages. Um, there's there's two ways of of bending staves. Um, there's steam bent, which is basically you have what what we call the rose, which is you know it's a a small ring with a larger ring about halfway up the stave, and the staves are just so down on the bottom end. All the staves are together, butted up against each other. The middle the middle ring is just kind of holding everything together. Goes through a steam tunnel, um, and then it basically to a glorified winch with a steel cable. Put over the top, turn it on. The the heat and the moisture soften the wood so you can bend it. Okay. So that that's that's that side. Then there's also fire bending, which is heating up the wood over an open oak fire, over over a, a fire pot that's fed. Which is a a place where a lot of the the scrap wood that is not good enough to use in our adjuncts or our barrels, chip it up, it's feeding the fire pots. Okay. Uh, which we use for toasting or, or or bending. Fire toasting. So is this where the toast in a barrel comes in? We're getting fire bending? This or, is okay. bending. This is still okay. bending. So you're softening the wood with heat. So everything is fine until the Fire Nation attacks. Yes. Sorry, I had to bring them <laughs> <laughs> Everything was going fine in the coop bridge. <laughs> and then basically it gets bent then it goes into toasting different part of the Kubridge they're building heads um, Marcelon? alrighty we've now entered Marcelon o'clock we're, we're moving on up or Marcelon 30 to a deluxe apartment in the sky oh, hold on I need to finish my vignette holy Cheers, sir. Cheers. Marcelon, from what I remember, is a hybrid of... Ooh, wow. Well, not a hybrid, but a crossbreed between uh, Grenache, Gris, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Wow. We do get a lot of those Grenache. Wow, it's juicy. Almost Super juicy thing. fruit. Hold on. Let's see so, what it smells like. Sorry for the pause and... <laughs> Let's see what it smells like in my toy. Wait, that sounded... That sounds perverse. Ooh. Some oak notes. But, and this, in the toy, more of those cab notes are coming out. That, that black tea and black pepper and... Getting a little, little slight hint of, of leather. Super leathery in, in, in the toy glass. Yeah. I, Here, I, try. I, Ooh. That's like rich Corinthian. Rich Corinthian leather. Ha, ha, ha. No, that's... I, I gotta get me one of those little toy glasses. They're right. amazing! That is really nice. Thank you again, Ray, if you're listening, for, for this wonderful new toy which you have bestowed upon me. 
<laughs> that I would proceed to do and use at almost every single wine I drink, for better or worse, to the annoyance of everyone around me. <laughs> okay, not every wine I'm drinking. I'm not. I, I'm too scared to, to carry it with me back to Rhode Island. And I don't want to be the ass who pulls this glass out in the tasting room. <laughs> yeah, that that is annoying. That would be like, oh, hold on, I've got my own glass. I used to... The last label I worked for, I spent a lot of time actually in the tasting room. I, I love being able to share something I'm proud of. with, And, and that's one of the things I love about down here is I've, I've met more winemakers just in the tasting rooms. Um... Because they're proud of what they're doing, and they're showing it. And then the guy would walk up with his little Rydell box, and open it up, and pull out his five glasses. <laughs> and you try really hard not to hit the top of one of the glasses with the neck of the bottle. Just to break it. <laughs> Just to, yeah, sorry about your... $10,000 glass, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So I've always I... wanted to go into a tasting room with a coffee mug. I'd, I'd prefer... <laughs> I, hell, me and my friend Gary drink wine out of fucking mason jars all the time. I, that's and my, that's like the great way to decant in a glass. That's a my mason jar. Chosen, it works fucking great. Chosen glass at home when I'm in my music studio is a mason jar because it's got a lid. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about spilling it on any of my equipment. Yeah. <laughs> or getting bugs in. So now we're bending the barrel. The barrel is bent. Okay. You have other hoops that go on it to hold it into place. These aren't the final galvanized metal hoops that you see okay. on the barrel. These are big, thick iron um, hoops that, that are, their diameters are preset. So they will, they will keep the barrel in the shape that you're wanting it. Um, now it's time to toast. Uh, to get into that, what I was speaking Cheers. about. Cheers! Cheers! Sorry. <laughs> toast. Yeah, toast. Um, so, and, and there's actually been some change, some, some innovations. And you, you have people that are using, um, the, they will convection toast. Um, what is convection toasting? Putting it in an oven. Yeah, seems odd, but okay. It, it's great for certain things, um, staves, chips, you know, the on the adjunct side. There's, and it's also really good if you're not. I I've found in the trials that I've done with fire toasted and non fire toasted barrels that fire toasted will give you a a little bit more smokiness. Okay. Because it's an open fire, it's it's oak burning, so you are going to get some of those compounds given off. Um, but I like that personally. I really like that. Um, some of those toasty, caramelized, burnt, smoky notes, um, especially if you're talking French oak. French oak with that big bacon. Yeah. Uh, that, that all those fatty notes. It's kind of nice to have a little tiny bit of smoke on the back end of that. Um, so now we're toasting the barrel. Time and temperature. Um, these aren't actually times or temperatures that we use, but say your guy is it's over the pot, and and he's moving it. He's rolling it off, putting it back on on the other side. So it's evenly toasting both sides. And this is 
I was amazed. I mean, it's it's true artistry. Um, if there's, in my humble opinion, yet again, if there's one really important guy working in the cooperage, it's it's the guys working your toasts. Um, okay. Experience is everything. Um, so say, inside of the barrel, on the surface of the wood is four seventy six for forty eight minutes. That would be say a medium plus toast. Okay. And every cooperage is different. With ours, I mean, what a lot of other cooperages call their medium, where that's our medium plus. Okay. Um, we're we're on the lighter side. Um, not always. More isn't always better, in, in, in my opinion. I've always liked being a little gentler. Um, I've never wanted to mask fruit. You always want to elevate. You want to have that balance. Yeah. And uh, that's where things are important. And, and so from there, it moves out of the toasting room or the, the toasting barn. Um, back out onto the floor, the, the heads, the chime is cut which is what the head sits inside. Then it's time to put the hoops on. And those are the galvanized steel or whatever. Yeah, gal galvanized steel hoops. Um, we Most cooperages produce their own um, because you just you, it's easier. Um, and from there, it goes in and the heads are installed. Heads are usually toasted. Um, with American oak, a, traditionally a lot of French oak, you'll have to request toasted heads. Okay. Um, traditionally, that's just how they've always done. Okay. Um, untoasted heads, toasted staves. So you get, you, and that it, it gives you a different quality. That that raw wood gives you a a different. Um, and and with some of our. Uh, with our adjuncts, we do some toast blends to kind of mimic that. You know, we have a percentage of untoasted, light, medium, medium plus to give you that, to kind of mimic what a barrel's doing to your wine without the cost of buying a French oak barrel. <laughs> um, you know, I've always been a big proponent, and um, a lot of a lot of folks actually disagree with me, but I I, I find adjuncts to be a the moving towards a more sustainable um, you know I love my barrels don't get me wrong I fucking love barrels <laughs> there's nothing like 24 36 months on a deep rich chewy red wine in a nice barrel there's nothing like it but sustainability um, you're you get more product out of the same tree yeah um than you do making a barrel. Your, your average tree will give you two to three barrels. And that's a lot of wasted wood. Yeah. Because it's a, you go up a certain distance from the ground. It's not going to work. Too it, many branches, too many knots. Yeah, or it's too dense towards the bottom. You're starting to get into the vascular systems of the roots. And so it's... I... I other cooperage guys have scoffed at me when I say it, but I, I look at adjuncts as being a, a sustainable future to the coopering industry. Okay. Um, France is very big on, they have a lot of rules and regulations. Only certain 
certain amounts of trees can be cut from certain forests. There's, there's a lot of forestry, um, there's a lot of farming to their forests. Here in America, there Not are so no, there are no regulations, really. Um, a lot of the oak coming from America is, is harvested from private land. Okay. So, you know, if you're being offered this per acre or per tree, oh yeah, just go ahead and take it off. So it's, uh, that's the hippy-dippy side of me coming out. I, I, I would love to see American Cooperages getting together and, and setting up a system of a more sustainable um, system of harvesting the wood. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a finite amount. That leads me to a dangerous question. Okay. If you were in charge of such a committee... <laughs> Uh, what rules would you think would enhance the long-term sustainability? I would not be a part of a committee that would have me as a member. No. Um. <laughs> I guess that is one way to answer the question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll take the fit. Um, no, it's, it's, it's um, I mean, certain things like replanting programs. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, with the, the lumber industry, they, they put in uh, regulations of... You, you, cut this many trees, you, you clear-cut a hillside, which it, and it's the most disgusting thing that I've seen in Oregon. Sorry to any of you who have loggers in your family or anything. Clear-cut a hillside, and but they have to replant. And there are some, some growers and some cooperages that are we take part in a, in a program called the American Forests Program. So for every two barrels that are sold, we plant a tree somewhere in the United States that's needing... It's not specifically oak, but it's, it's in areas that need, need a little bit of help. Um, and we're big, we're big proponents of that. But specifically, if I was on that committee, um, I mean, just, just simple things like replanting... Possibly not logging in headwaters, um, not affecting in streams or creeks as much as you can, harvesting during certain parts of the year so the impact on the land isn't... Impact on nesting wildlife, nesting birds. Exactly. But all this stuff makes it more expensive. Yeah. And there's the catch-22. Well, which is also, that would be why French oak is more expensive than American oak. Exactly. That is a large part. Which answers a question that I was going to ask later. So, there we go. All right. And, oh my God, this is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. This is really juicy. And right and juicy. Well, this is something I could uh, sit on my back porch at sunset and just make love to this. <laughs> so this is a purely hypothetical question. Okay. Um, because I know in Italy, some, some parts of Italy anyway, for like for Rolo and stuff, chestnut is used. Yes. Um, so I was reading an article yesterday, uh, maybe you've seen it or not, but there there's a group that's figured out how to basically bring back the American chestnut. Oh, that would be great. Um, basically they, what they've done is it's the first genetically organized modified way to save an endangered species, they inserted a gene into it that is in wheat that prevents the blight from being able to attack it. Oh, wow. Uh, and so my hypothetical question is, um, could American chestnut, if it actually comes back and actually becomes viable, 
be a threat to Oak Cooper dish, or is it a completely different flavor structure? Never. It's a it's a completely different flavor structure. Um, well, it's just a different wood, uh, different grain, different hardness, different compounds in the wood. Um, it's like a it, a lot of winemakers, uh, me being one, uh, acacia, which is actually a, what was it that I heard? It's actually not acacia. It's just, we really? call it acacia. It's not the yeah. yellow-flowered everybody that has allergies, worst nightmare. Yeah, I, I remember hearing this too. It's a black Page Springs did. Locust? Something of that sort. Black locust wood or something like that. Page Springs did an acacia-aged Viognier a couple of years ago. It's beautiful. It totally, I, I found it, I, I used it on acacia heads on a, a French oak barrel. To highlight the floral notes in a pinot. Ooh. And I found it to really work, really be an, an amazing. It's a, a winemaker buddy of mine, Rick Davis. He's the one that turned me on to Acacia. Um, I've been a proponent of it. We personally at Canton don't make or mess with. We are strictly 100% oak. But there are Coopers out there using Acacia. There's Coopers out there using interesting woods. And, I mean, it's kind of like beer. Yeah, there was one Dogfish had did with Palo Santo. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah, well, and then before hops, I mean, Slippery Elm, um, Licorice Root. Uh, there were so many things that were used for bittering a beer or adding a... It's when hops was... Discovered, all that kind of fell to the wayside. One of my favorites, there's a great brewery in, in Santa Rosa called the Moonlight Brewing Company that does a, a, a pale ale that's bittered with redwood tips. Huh. Fresh grown redwood tips. Just the bright green. It is such a beautiful, amazing beer. There was a beer that someone did. I want to say Ryan Sandlin at Dark Sky mm. did with Douglas Fir Tips. Yeah. Same idea. Same idea. I mean, just there's there's a million and it would be interesting to see winemakers start experimenting with different different types of wood to see what characteristics, what and I know some are, um, and it's just exciting. I would like to see yeah, I would love to see chestnut and how that would you know, work with a Kebsov or, or a Moved. Or, or an Arizona whatever Nebbiolo, because I guess that's the main wood aged in Barolo for, yeah. for, for Nebbiolo. Yeah, yeah. Not. Well, because it's, it's what's available. You use what's around. <laughs> and I don't think olive is a very viable... No. <laughs> so, so going on to sort of part two. Yes. We have our barrel. There's your barrel. We put in freshly squeezed or freshly done fermenting, let's say, Petite Syrah. Okay. Actually, Petite Syrah is one of my favorite juices to put in American oak. I agree. Yes. Um, so we have our Petite Syrah in an American oak barrel. What happens? What is this aging process and the barrel process and all that fun stuff? And I know it's on this... Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's on the sheet that I presented. Yes, but, 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 but my, my listeners don't have this sheet, so... Yes, which, 
I don't know about trademarking or anything, because it is from uh, Wines and Vines. <laughs> um, so the first function, the, the first thing that starts happening is, is the wine is being enriched by other compounds, um, phenolic compounds and other compounds on top of that. Uh, like we were talking earlier, you know, vanillin, guaiacol, formethyl, tryptophan, blah, 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 blah. Again, into my third, fourth glass of wine. Um, I can actually... Salon 30. What I'll do is I'll actually send a list of, of the main compounds that you can put with this, if you like. That would like. be awesome. Um, so, you're getting certain, um, you know, lactones that are, that are being brought out of the wood. Other things are precipitating out. Um, you're... You, like I said, enriching the wines with certain compounds. You're, um, then there's the, the breathing. Um, oak is porous. So you have an exchange of oxygen that's happening. So it's, okay. it's funny. The one thing that you don't want to happen to your wine is what you want to have happen to your wine. You're slowly oxidizing it. It's a controlled oxidation. Um, with that, that, the the breathing is what I call it. Um, oxygen is slowly working its way into the wine. It's not like leaving it in an open glass yeah. for three days and going, oh, that that's wonderful. But it, it's slow over time. Um, it, a lot of people have been talking about, or a lot of people are into microox, microoxygenation with adjuncts. And you were saying that this is a big, big no-no. That you would again, not again, personally, my uh, opinion. Again, just yeah, a, a lot of people are into it, um, and it, it depends on what you're going for. Um, there are proponents of it that love it that will never stray away from it. That will microox every hanging tea bags of chips, microox. Um, it gives you the perception of of an aged wine. Um, I question how long they can hold up, or and it's it's just a, it, there's nothing like a barrel, like I said earlier. There's nothing like that slow exchange of, of phenolic compounds, of flavor compounds, of aromatic compounds, um, and just giving your wine a that vessel to settle out, let the hards, the hard lees, the hard you know particles precipitate out. Um, bringing in flavonoid compounds that, that are adding, you know, like the vanilla, the coconut, some of the toastier compounds. Um, sometimes you get you can get a really nice, like, cooked honey from a, a, a nice medium toasted American oak barrel. Um, so yeah, and and like I said, I'll I'll give a list of all these compounds. Or actually, I. I have it here in front of me if I want to. Apologies to any chemists, because I will butcher these. Perforol, <laughs> methyloacetylacetone, eugenol, isoeugenol, vanillin, oh good, that one was easy, malatol, cyclotylene, and glycol. Yeah, glycol will be those smoky notes. Or the, 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 the coconutty notes that some people will talk about. The the fervorol is that almond 
and uh, and also smoke. I mean, it's it's funny how many of these compounds are a flavor and smoke. <laughs> um, and it's it's very interesting. There's a lot of research coming out right now about Davis really on the cutting edge of a lot of this. Um, also, just Cooper's, our, our Cooperage, we've put a lot of R&D into what these compounds do in combination. Um, because if you want to heighten vanillin, or that vanilla, you know, component that's so popular with everybody, you need to, you need to have these other compounds that will elevate that. And, and that, that's kind of, I guess, the main thing I, I like to talk about, about wine in barrel, is the, the French call it the élevage. You know, the, the elevating the wine. You're, you're lifting everything up through this exchange. Um, and maybe even just, we'll crop out just this picture. Yeah, that's a cool, awesome picture. Yeah, because it's showing you the you know, ethanol, CO2, H2O, oxidation. The flavors. Yeah. Stabilization of color. And also, apparently, uh, according to this, uh, tannins are also... Are, there yeah, are additional you, you tannins. Get, you get tannins, elegant... Oh, I always have trouble with this word, man. <laughs> Especially after a few drinks. Ele Elegatannins. Um, which is funny because you have tannins that will mellow the tannins from the grape you also have tannins that will give you astringency you have tannins that will give you that mid palate and so there's also an exchange of tannin from the wood into the wine which helps in the elevating of um, I, and it's funny because being such a big proponent and a fan of adjuncts I like barrel treatments. That's always been my, my thing. So you're still getting a lot of that breathing, that living barrel. You're getting not so much of the... But when you add the oak to this, this is actually funny. To do this podcast thing while drinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I was feeling on top of my game an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm getting very loose and very this is uh, again thank you very much for you're welcome it's not the end yet I'm just thanking and buzzed we're, we're probably getting close cause, you getting know, close to it because uh, your wine is aging in a barrel and then you bottle it all these different things happen yeah you're right you'll, you'll want to rack it out of the barrel you're, you're wanting to separate it from your hard solids one of the most important things is Barrel health. Your, your yes, barrel, we were talking about this in the tasting room earlier, and I think this is very important. Yeah, barrel sanitation is... Sanitation in general, when it comes to making wine, is number one. It's the most important thing. You're putting your, your time, your effort, your sweat and your blood into a project... That with bad sanitation, a little tiny microorganism can screw your whole... Everything. Now my beautiful, 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 you know, 
Cabernet or we had whatever. Like a beef Syrah barrel. So. Now tastes like a wet mushroom soaked dog. You know, it's so. I I know a lot of people use. They get the once used, twice used barrels from places like Napa, Sonoma, Paso. Um, some people are using um, ozone as a yeah. sanitation. Ozone guys will tell you it works. Um, it's a surface treatment. If you aren't penetrating the wood, you're not sanitizing the inside of your barrel. You're just not. Um, I've I've talked to researchers who have put a lot of time and energy into this. Steam is simple, it's cheap, and it works. And you're going to want to steam the hell out of the barrel. You want to feel the barrel heat. The barrel is hot on the outside. Um, if, if you're a winemaker that uses used barrels because you're in a position where you can't afford to have a new barrel program, steam your barrels, clean your lines, clean your tanks, Keep a clean winery, as clean as you possibly can, because sanitation, bad sanitation will ruin your wine. We were talking about this earlier today, and I didn't bring this up, but uh, you know, Jason, my boss and, and the winemaker for Passion, he, he's always likened a, uh, a winery to almost like a triage or a hospital. Oh, yeah. And that uh, you know, it must be kept sanitized, must be kept clean, must be kept perfect. Otherwise, you know, one infection, it's going to ruin everything. And yeah. Then you'll have an outbreak. Yeah. It's true. It's uh, true. I it's think that this is a case that has happened with some Arizona wineries. I'm not going to name names. Well, it, it happens every year in Napa and Sonoma. It, it just happens. Um, and that's what's important. If you have cellar hands, you beat into their skull. That sanitation is number one. Yeah. Um, as much as I would like to think so, you know, warm water, <laughs> it doesn't sanitize things. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be scalding hot. It, yeah, I mean, and coming from a culinary background, uh, specifically pastry, I made stuff that if I wasn't careful could kill people. And I took that with me into the winery. Sanitation Which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, bad wine, it won't kill you. Just won't make you feel good. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that why we all make and drink wine? Is to feel good and forget right. about the bad bad things just well, for a little bit. Well that because I like it. Yeah, it's it's so that that that's the my last big and what I do talk with a lot of winemakers about when I see possible issues. Um, is is sanitation, sanitation, sanitation. It's it's very important. We send you a barrel that's brand new. It's sterile on the inside pretty much because we've toasted it to almost 500 degrees. And uh, there's a lot of things that want to that wanna ruin your game. Yeah. So remember, kids, sanitation, <laughs> good times, come on. Dun-dun, Sorry. No, I'm gonna use that. Don't Please think, feel don't free. Don't think I won't. Please <laughs> feel free. <laughs> Please don't sue us, Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry, Commons. 
Maybe the Commodores. Commodores. Sorry, my bad. And I call myself a music head. Um, yeah, so that, that's... Amer American Oak is, is, is really good. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's a, a very nice product to, to elevate certain characteristics in, in certain varietals. It's not for everybody. It's not for everything. It's um, not for every grape. No. Um, I, I personally feel that for the most part, it's going to make me a lot of work. Yes, please. <laughs> this is gonna probably make me a lot of enemies in Napa. That's okay. Ah, man, but you know, fuck that. <laughs> um, I don't like the the by by and large, with a few key exceptions. I don't like the brand new, heavy toast, American oak chardonnays. I feel that it overwhelms a lot of the characters of the grape. Now that being said, I have had some that were, you know, a lighter toast. Yeah. That were great and where that flavor profile was beautiful. The best example I can think of, I don't know if you actually tasted or anything at the Southwest Wine Center because your lecture was canceled. Yes. Uh, because everyone's on spring break. <laughs> I'll be back. I promise. They have two Chardonnays sourced from the same vineyard. Mm -hmm. One was in an ML Plus toast, and it's literally called ML Plus. Oh, so it's the one that you drive your malactic fermentation all the way through, and... Yeah, so there's your ML, there's your... And it was, I think, a recoupered... Okay. Uh, American okay. oak barrel, or maybe a, a second year. Second fill. Yeah. Second fill, because... Or medium to light toast. One of the three. I don't remember, and I don't have my notes in front of me on it. Do I? No, I don't, because they're my other tasting notebook, which is in my car that I need to remember to pack into my suitcase tomorrow to take with me to Rhode Island. <laughs> uh, which is the coolest tasting notebook ever because my friend Anna found got this basically the Hobbit notebook. Oh. And it has illustrations based on Lord of the Rings. Oh, nice. And it's from Britain. And so I write all my tasting notes there and there's these cool pictures of like Hobbits and battles and stuff going on, because of course I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. One of the things that I love that was just recently pointed out to me, there's an author that writes books about Tolkien and all of his writings and all of his books named David Day. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> it's like, sure, yeah. No, I'm... A, Huge Lord of the Rings fan. It's, I would I would love to see this. Uh, me too. And, and that's actually uh, a secret reason. Well, it's not so secret because I mentioned it in a podcast a while back. Uh, one of the reasons why I love Malvasia Bianca in Arizona, especially good ones like the Sand Reckoner Malvasia, the Fridays Malvasia. I'm looking forward they, to checking out the Sand Reckoner. Yeah, you're going to love it. Uh, tell him I said hello. I will. I tell everyone you mean about it. <laughs> Especially again, like I said, Rose and Mark and James and everybody else, because everybody knows me for better or worse. But anyway, it tastes to me like how I've always imagined and dropped ah. tastes like when Pippin and Mary are in Welling Hall. And yeah, yeah. Beard says, I, I here drink this, this is and dropped. And it describes it as being very floral and aromatic and, yeah, yeah. and almost sweet and dry and to me, you know, 
I, I was reading Lord of the Rings during my very first tasting of Maldesia Bianca because it was at the age of Lent and I needed to break away from things. And I remember, like, looking at the description of the book, like, later, because I read that passage, like, later that day, and I'm just like, holy shit, that's, like, just what the wine I tasted. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, to me, Malva Bianca has always been connected to Lord of the Rings and that end drop. I, I don't, again, no. have the passage in front of me, obviously, for how it's described, but... I've always pictured it. Well, who, what, would, what would be my Lord of the Rings? Wine. Wine, huh? Huh. I don't know. Actually, probably, and it has nothing to do. It. I would actually probably say like, Viognier would remind me of Rivendell. I can see that. You know, um, it does have this sort of light, ethereal, floral, elvish character to it. Twisty gold filigreeing, and you know. Elves just being absolutely badass. <laughs> like Viognier. Because Viognier... And, and, I, and, and if you look at the history of Viognier, it's so interesting too, because it was almost extinct in the 1960s. Yeah. I and mean, it's even, made a huge comeback. Even ten years ago, if you mentioned that you liked Viognier, people would go, wait, what? Huh? No. What are you, some kind of wine hipster? Oh. Well, and this is, this is something that I've liked about the industry, that you know, we're all in, is, you know, things like Picpoul Blanc. Oh, God, I, I, I love Picpoul. To, I talked to, to winemakers. You know, I, I fell in love, actually, with Picpoul Blanc in Texas. Never tasted a Texas Picpoul. That would be fun. It's, it's really wonderful. There's a Lost Ross Cellars. If any of you ever go to the Hill Country, Fredericksburg, Lost Ross Cellars, there you go. There's my my one out of Arizona pitch. Actually, someone came in who was the like the winemaker for Bending Branch Winery the other day. Jason? No, um, Cody was. Cody, his yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this off. <laughs> no, well, he's like, wait, you're Cody? I'm like, yep, I'm Cody. Oh, so so am I. Cody's a cool guy. Um. <laughs> um, it's it's in the Lubbock area, but no, Pickpole Blanc. Uh, talking to guys that have made wine for thirty two years, and they go Pickpole what? And I'm like, fuck, are you serious? I mean, it, it, there's a lot of of uh, of varietals that you mention in our in our talks that go right over my head. Um, I come from the land of the Big Seven, you know. Yeah. It, it, Sonoma County, Napa County, not known for a vast variety of... One of the things I love is if, if you're ever ever in California, any of you, do check out Lodi. Lodi gets a bad rap, but Lodi is... Lodi's got, growing, like I'm telling you, great petite Syrah, great petite Verdot, great Tanant. 107 plus varietals growing. So how can you look at a wine... wine that... Napa and Sonoma for decades has been sourcing from sourcing their blends, you know, <laughs> the backbone to their blends for the bigger houses. Where do they come from? Lola. You know, and there there is just like anywhere. There's crap fruit, but there are amazing growers out there. I had and uh, all those growers out there. 
I tell them about you guys. That's why I'm telling you about Lodi. <laughs> Again, Lodi and Paso are probably my two favorite California wine regions. Next time you come out to California, I'm going to take you up to El Dorado and Amador. That would be awesome. Yeah. I've heard good... I've heard... I, we have heard rumors of Amador. <laughs> Barbera. Barbera in the, in the Plymouth Shenandoah Valley area. Amazing. So I learned the other day that there are two Shenandoah Valley IPAs. Yep. One in California and one in Arizona. Or, um, Virginia. Virginia. No, it's funny because I, I would say, oh yeah, I'm going up to the Shenandoah Valley and people, hey, you're going out to Virginia? Like, no. no. Driving three hours up into the foothills. And, and it's, it's going gorgeous. Going back conversation threads, the state grape of Virginia is Viognier. Yep. Which I think is stupid. And a lot of people would think it was Norton. <laughs> I've yet to encounter a Norton that I have liked. I've it, it's funny I've taken as it. as I've told you I personify grapes according to people. Yeah. Uh, uh, Norton is definitely uh, one of my more recent exes, who was an entirely <laughs> who was a very bitter nag. <laughs> uh, she was very bitter, very not over things, and brought it out on me and tried but, to change me in all these different ways and was very bitter and. But, but did, Ross and just I was done with it. Did didn't didn't have a lot of uh, 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 mildew no. <laughs> problems. No, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, nor you know, and she was always bugging me the whole time we were dating. What grape am I? What grape am I? I was like, I don't know yet. And then I tasted Norton, and, and it's like, oh, oh, this is what grape she is. <laughs> what grape are you? A lima bean. Because <laughs> I don't want to sully the, the the good word of grape with your name. You are homeboy. <laughs> to quote Sam Pillsbury, we're going to build a wall. We're going to build a wall in New Hampshire. We're going to put all the concrete behind it. We're going to make the growers pay for it. <laughs> hey. But then again, if it wasn't for Concord, Protestants wouldn't have communion. And we would not have wonderful Smucker's jelly. This is also true. Actually, um... What yeah, this? when it comes to Concord, jelly is more my jam. Ha, <laughs> for the bumps. Bazing. Um, well, this was maybe seven months, eight months ago, a winemaker that I work with up in the foothills has a, a dessert wine that he made with Concord. That actually really, it was... Delicious. I will actually say this. There is one Concord wine, and this is on record. I will not leave this with a recording. <laughs> Granite Mountain Vineyards in Chino Valley, one of their only good wines, and they do 100% organic, no sulfites, which is bad for aging. Bad, and, bad, 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 bad. Um, but I have a product that can help you. <laughs> they did a sparkling Concord blush. Ooh. That actually was pretty damn good. But the that problem was, sense. because of the variations in pressure, they only sold it at the winery. You couldn't take it away from the winery. Because it would pop. Oh, God. Apparently. So I've been told. All I was told is that you can't take this home with you. You've got to drink it here. No cage on the... No cage on it. Oh, that's an easy fix. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I, I don't I, know if they have it. Well, they didn't have it anymore the last time I was there. But I was like, oh, this is actually the only Concord wine I've that's had actually, that I've liked. That's actually this could be actually uh, a way to make Concord platable to you. Yeah, know, yeah, to yeah I, more I, often. Angelica. I mean, it, it's in that same sort of. That's what I I found it to be closest to. It was really really nice. I I don't diss the. I actually there's no grape I'll diss. Because if it doesn't do well in a certain place, it just means you have it in the wrong place. I, I, I think a lot of vineyards are planted in exactly the wrong place. Um, people, people plant, uh, not saying any of you have, um, this is mainly something that I've noticed a lot in California. Oh yes, you were talking about that cab. Yes. <laughs> people plant land with what is trending, what is hot, what is, you know, watching some of my favorite, most amazing Old Vine Zinfandel vineyards get torn up to plant Pinot. And I like me a good Pinot, a nice, light, pretty, one of my favorite jokes, and this, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, uh, I was told this by a winemaker. When I was, you know, in my early days of, of, of learning how to, to craft, a Pinot should be like the perfect prom date. Beautiful, austere, and very pretty in the beginning, and kind of dirty at the end. <laughs> and that's how it I should I actually be. think that that works great. It as, should as the be description that. of... Uh, that's how I like most of the Pinot's I've tasted that I've Bright, liked. pretty, light, just beautiful in the beginning, and then it just gets a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's something I've carried with me, and one of the problems I've seen, there, there, there's trends. A, a certain wine or a certain wine writer in Arizona, please don't ever make wines to appease wine writers. Yeah, for the love of God. Don't plant make, grapes that I say that you should plant, but don't do them at the expense of other varietals. Well, and if this joker ever starts giving you the, the, the what do you do the, the numbers the uh, you know like the spectator gives you ninety one. Oh 96. fuck that shit! Don't make make the wines your heart tells you to make. If you ever start making wines for numbers or for wine writers, because you'll have better sales think about getting into another line of, of, of you know whatever else you're passionate about because once you start making wine to please other to, people to please the the spectators and the you know whatever you're no longer making wine for yourself be true to yourself be and make what you feel you need to make and, and that's that's what this industry should be. People should make what makes them happy to make. Agreed. And actually, I think that's a perfect point to close on. There you go. Um, I guess I'll just give you my contact information. Well, no, if any, list it right if, now. If anybody would like to get a hold of me, I'm I'm always available. The best way to get a hold of me is through email. That's D Day D D. A Y at cantonwood.com. 
feel free to send me questions, anything, and um, yeah, hope to meet all of you winemakers down here. Um, uh, I'd love to walk some vineyards down here. <laughs> if Mark Barris is, is in and around, you, you will be taken on a walk through, Good. through part of the vineyards. He, every time I'm down there, he, he's done so, and it's always uh, fun and, and lovely. I'm a vineyard geek. And remember, be true to yourself. Make the wine you want to make. I'll be drinking it anyway, let's face it. <laughs> Get right down to it. Because <laughs> I, I like almost everything. So, Anyway, I'm going to bid you all adieu. Uh, the next podcast I record is probably going to be in Rhode Island with awesome. Bass. Uh, we are probably going to be looking at an Alsatian Gewürztraminer side-by-side with the uh, uh, Gewürztraminer from Arizona Stronghold made by Corey Turnbull that uh, gleaned all of the awards at uh, the AWGA dinner, including Best in Show. Because uh, I remember it being a very Alsatian, but I don't remember if I'm hallucinating because it's been a while since I've had an Alsatian Gewürztraminer, and I found one wow. a year older than, than the uh, Arizona Stronghold, so it's not going to be a perfect comparison, but it's not going to be a perfect comparison anyway because it's not the same weather conditions, different winemaker and other things, yeah. but uh, a varietal character should be nice. I want to kind of do them side by side. So anyway, stay tuned. Uh, this is the Wine Monk signing off. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>